वेलकम टू थंडरकंट On the wall, I was like, "What a word!" Yeah, we're taking Love that. that. Mm. It is now a thunder noodle property. Yes, copyright thundercats. And what are we gonna call oh people that God. we actually do like? Noodly bullies. Noodly bullies. Oh, noodly bullies. Our thundercats and noodly bullies. Yes. I kind of want to be a thundercat. I also kind of want to be a thundercat. <laughs> <laughs> so But why don't the people we like be thundercats? Because you're serving cunt slay, and then. The other ones be oh you're that is the most Gen Z thing I've ever heard. You're serving cunt slay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, our first I I don't even want to say it like that. Our first thunder cunt slay. (laughs) We are doing a shout out today to Tracy. Hey Tracy. Thank you, little Miss Tracy, for liking and commenting and giving us so much support. We. Love you. Yes. And to all of you other peoples, if you enjoy listening to us ramble on, please give us a a follow, a young little lock, even if you just put the flame emoji. Yes. It's all fine. Yeah. We appreciate. Yes. We we love you too. And if there are anything you want to be hearing from the Thundercunt, yes, let us know because Thundernoodle we do shout outs. We mm-hmm. do re- we do take requests. We do. Yeah. Yeah. We just want to make you happy. We just want to be happy. On that note of being happy, I'm not going to be happy. I know it. Today's episode, uh the biggest disclaimer of the disclaimers. Disclaimerings. This is this is bad. This is very bad. I am going to be talking about child abuse, sexual abuse, violence, graphic content. If this is not for you, if you are triggered by any of this, if this makes you uncomfortable in any way, please, we'll see you in the next mini-sode. Yeah, please, we'll take, we'll take, please take your mental health into consideration. Um, There are going to be many, many other episodes, so don't worry about it. We'll check you in the next one, but take care of yourself first, always. Yes, and we are not professionals, we are not journalists, we are merely people who put Google information together on one page because we think we're smart yes sometimes and sometimes s phones other people's sometimes they don't want to talk to me i'm talking to you linda i'm still i stand i still stand linda i love linda i just want linda to like us back yeah shout out also to linda stain (laughs) (laughs) we are your fans and then today's case no fork This is going to so not only disclaimer and warning for today, but for part two as well. There is going to be a part two. I do not think I will do a part three. I can only handle two parts. It is going to be about the houses of horrorses of South Africa. In recent news, we have learned that even Stellenbosch University has oh, a house fuck. of horrors. I'm so invested. I know. When all that information comes out, y'all better know you're hearing it here. I wouldn't say first, but I wouldn't say first either. You'll be hearing it here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm not going to look up anything further on that. I'm yeah. going to avoid that. So that is your are you claiming? But you can do it. Okay, well we'll decide later. Okay. But carry on. Okay. okay. 
these these cases that I have accumulated, I basically went on a deep dive into the houses of horrors of South Africa, mm. and I found that there are very similar things in these cases. Most people know about the Springs House of Horrors and the famous American Turpin House of Horrors. Mm. Turpin? I think it's Turpin. And it's strange to me that so many instances correlate. It's almost as if it is a modus operandi that these people share. Look at you. Yeah, which makes no sense to me. Mm. So I wanted to delve into this specifically so today i'm not gonna deep dive into the the backgrounds of these people or i'm mainly focusing on the cases i'm going to be discussing more than one case today i'm basically scanning over the case and then in episode two or part two we can maybe deep delve into one specific case i'll choose one specific case that i think almost rounds up or has the most in common with the rest and then we can deep delve into that and then we can get into the psychology of why the fuck do we have more than one house of horrors not just in the world but in south africa alone which is crazy to me firstly okay that is what is happening i are following okay so warning graphic content i'm about to cry and we are idiots. Yeah. Go. Horrific details about the torture and child abuse suffered by baby Jamie surfaced after an indictment was served to her mother and grandmother at their last appearance at the Chatsworth Magistrates Court. The document included gruesome information about the deceased being burned with cigarettes and how the accused allegedly rubbed chilies inside the child's vagina. Baby Jamie's grandmother, who is 55 years old, Salachi Vanilla Basanish. I can't pronounce these names. I'm going to fuck them all up. And her mother, Patricia Kirshni Ishwaral, who is 31, faced 15 charges, including multiple counts of assault with intent to do grievous bodily harm, child abuse, sexual assault, and one count of murder and rape. The duo will appear in the Durban High Court both accused were remanded in police custody and sent back to prison. According to the indictment, three-year-old baby Jamie and her two siblings, 11-year-old brother and 8-year-old sister, faced torture and abuse for several years and the youngest of the children, a two-year-old girl, was spared. The indictment included shocking revelations of the last two days of torture which baby Jamie faced before she would die. On Monday, November 17th, 2014, Ishwaro was at the children's residence. During the morning, she slapped baby Jamie, pushed her onto the floor. The younger siblings were instructed by the mother to assault Jamie with a ruler, which they did. Later that day, the grandmother throttled Jamie and repeatedly lifted her off the floor and threw her back down again. In order to punish baby Jamie, the grandmama did not give her any food to eat and tied her to the bed as usual. It is believed that on Tuesday, November 18th, 2014, the grandmother continuously slapped baby Jamie across her face until her mouth began to bleed. She did not provide any medical assistance to treat baby Jamie for her injuries and tied her to the bed once again that night. On Wednesday, November 19th, 2014, grandmother removed Jamie's underwear and made her lie on the floor. 
Thereafter, she pinched baby Jamie on her vagina and burnt her with a cigarette repeatedly on her vagina. She also pinched Jamie on her ears. During the night, she tied baby Jamie to the bed. At some point during the night, Jamie succumbed to her injuries and died while still tied to the bed. Oh my god, this is heartbreaking. At a subsequent post-mortem examination, the cause of death was established as blunt forced head trauma following fatal child abuse. Further incidents of torture and abuse indicated in the indictment revealed that the grandmother had burnt Jamie's pubic area with a cigarette, inserted a burning cigarette into baby Jamie's vagina, and inserted her fingers and rubbed chilies inside Jamie's vagina. The grandmother had also allegedly used a string or rope to bind her hands and legs and thereafter tie her to the bed at night. Jamie was kicked, punched and burned. She was denied food and went hungry and went hungry and suffered from malnutrition. She was also allegedly assaulted with a ruler, belts and shoes. Her mother would use her and her other siblings to beg for money on the streets of Durban. According to the indictment, the 11-year-old boy was also struck on his body with open hands, a leather belt, a ruler, shoes, and he was pinched and burned with cigarettes and a hot iron. He was forced to beg for money on the streets of Durban, and if he refused, he was further assaulted. His penis would also be pinched and burnt with cigarettes. The 8-year-old girl was also struck with an open hand, a belt, a ruler, shoes, and a wooden spoon. She was pinched and burnt with a cigarette and a hot iron on her body. She was also allegedly struck with a wooden spoon on her vagina. The indictment indicated that none of the children received medical treatment for any of their injuries. This is so heartbreaking. I'm going to cry. Yeah. Now, this case went to the courts. And here's where you're about to get angry. Now, they were charged with a lot of things, okay? But the only person that would be prosecuted is the mother, as the grandmother died in prison before she could face trial. The mother would receive five years imprisonment for assault with grievous bodily harm, two years on each account for child abuse, Five years imprisonment for sexual assault. Two years imprisonment for failure to provide medical assistance. Ten years imprisonment on assault of grievous bodily harm on specifically Jamie. And ten years imprisonment in child abuse in controversion with starving in time Jamie to the bed. Ten years imprisonment for allowing Jamie to be sexually assaulted. Five years imprisonment to for the failure to provide medical assistance for Jamie specifically, 12 years imprisonment for the murder of Jamie, guilty with criminal intent, Don't five years imprisonment for count two, four, and five will run concurrently, 12 years imprisonment on count 16 and 17 will run concurrently, count 10, 11, 12, and 14, and 17 will run concurrently as 12 years, and count 11, 12, and 14 will also, wait, 
three years of the sentence of 10 years imprisonment will be imposed on each of the counts and 10, 11, 12 and 14 will run concurrently with the total period of three years imprisonment. The accumulative effective sentencing is 20 years imprisonment. That's fucking nothing. Yes. What the fuck? So that is the Chatsworth House of Horrors. Now we are on to the next case. Bitch, that could have been a case itself. Fuck yes. me up that bad. In 2009, baby Tammy would be the victim of her adoptive parents. Baby Tammy Herman was breathing fast. The rapid rise and fall of her little chest masked a multitude of injuries when she was brought into the trauma unit of the Garden City Clinic on January 18, 2006. The 20-month-old child was semi-comatose, pale, bruised, extremely dehydrated and in shock. Surgery and x-rays showed that she had a burst liver, bruises, fractures on her head, knees, collarbone, elbow and swelling on the brain. Her ribs were fractured. Some of her injuries were fresh, others were healing. Three days after she was admitted, she died. Shock due to internal bleeding was the cause of death. A couple months later, her adoptive mother, Zaiwunisha, was found guilty of culpable homicide and assault and sentenced to an effective 15 years in prison. Three social workers who just three months after Tammy was born placed her with her adoptive parents would sit in court watching how it slowly and painfully unfolded. Wilson is the Johannesburg Child Welfare Society adoption supervisor. She took overall responsibility. Armstrong is the adoptive mother and her husband's social worker. She screened the mother and her husband. Romonotso was Tammy's biological mother's social worker. Since the child was killed, there are many haunting questions. Did they do enough? Did they miss something when they consulted the couple? Was there anything that they could have done? The answers they seek are not in the casebook. Procedures were followed. The couple presented themselves as loving and desperate to share their lives with a spacious house and a baby. The Hermans applied to adopt in 2002. Armstrong remembered them as a very happy couple. They were presentable and really happy at the time. A full medical was conducted and the Hermans were quizzed about their marriage. They presented themselves as a couple very much in love without any problems. Reality, it emerged in court, was far from the truth. The people contacted by social workers to corroborate, collaborate and check on the couple's reinforced image of a happy couple. In any case like this, one wonders if you have done enough. We always try to do the best for a child. We believe the referees told us whatever they knew about the family, says Armstrong. There were a battery of tests, a psychological assessment, personality assessment, and a police clearance check. The Hermans were visited at their home and assessed in their surroundings. The couple passed. They were not bipolar, no one was suffering from severe depression, no tendency to violence, and no marital problems had surfaced. After the social workers were satisfied with what they saw, they put the couple on the waiting list. Adopters will put their best foot forward and we can only deal with what we see, says Wilson. 
The three social workers went to each court appearance and they listened as the doctors described Tammy's final moments. It is very difficult to listen to all of that, Wilson says. I always wonder what kind of life this little child must have led. Why didn't someone come to her rescue? Why did this little girl go through this? We are never going to get any answers. On the day that Tammy was taken to the hospital, the hospital social worker informed Wilson and Armstrong, who then rushed to the Garden City Clinic. Tammy lied on the bed, fighting for her life. Every day they live with this memory, but say, we gave her a home where we thought she would be loved. The mother sat on the hospital bench with doctors trying to save Tammy's life. Armstrong sat next to her to show some support without prompting the mother. Without any prompting, the mother blurted out that she and her husband were having ongoing difficult marital problems that preceded the adoption. The husband said nothing to his wife or the social worker when he overheard this outburst. It was very little information. If it had been proffered a couple of months earlier, that could have halted the adoption. The mother met the father in Westbury in 1989. And at the time, she was married and he was divorced. Each had a child aged four years old. According to a statement, the mother made the police during their relationship. The father impregnated two women. One woman had a miscarriage and the other child was born in August 2005. They also tried for a baby on their own, but the mother, the adoptive mother, could not conceive. She became frustrated, depressed and blamed her husband's infidelities on her inability to conceive. Their marital problems got so bad that in 1999 they divorced. She appointed an attorney who appealed against it and two days after the decree of divorce was granted, a judge reversed it. Even though their problems continued, they talked about adoption the following year with the hope that a child could save their marriage. Isn't the whole saying that children will ruin your marriage, if anything? They wanted a girl, someone who resembled them in looks, and they applied. Two years of waiting, Tammy would become their child. She was born on March 4, 2004. She legally became the Herman's daughter on the 7th of July, 2004. On that day, she was collected from the children's home and the adoptive mother and her sister-in-law went to fetch her. The father was not there. At the time, she was a healthy four-month-old. One of the doctors at Princess Alice Children's Home where Tammy was being placed with the Hermans wrote in her file, she's a happy, healthy, well-nourished, sweet little girl. She is reaching and des the desired milestones and will continue to thrive in a loving home. The sweet, healthy girl would be dead before her second birthday, battered in a house that was supposed to be a home filled with love. The adoptive mother took a six-month leave to take care, take care mm, to take care of Tammy. In court, a bizarre reason was given for her actions. The child was the father's, fathered through extramarital affairs. Huh? This is now her reasoning. So this is going to be very confusing. Her desperate attempts to repair her relationship with her husband, including forcing him to sign a document promising he would never cheat on her again, emerged in court. However, the husband was seldomly home. But even though he spent less time with his wife and the new baby, he is believed to have bonded more with Tammy than his wife did. The mother started battering her adoptive daughter only two months after the social workers placed her in 
the care of the Hermans. Two months into the Hermans' home, Tammy sustained a fractured elbow. She could not move her arm and cried whenever she was bathed or dressed. Although the child's primary caregiver, the mother claimed that she had not noticed the injury when the brother pointed out to her that Tammy was not moving her arm. Neither could she explain how Tammy fractured her elbow. Fast forward to January 11, 2006. The mother's niece tried to put Tammy on the potty by holding her under her ribs. The child winced. The niece told the mother about that. I did not investigate because there were no marks on her. I just lifted the clothes to check, she testified in court. The abuse continued until her death. The mother claimed Tammy fell in the shower and hit her head on the shower step. Doctors say the only way Tammy could have gotten those injuries was from considerable force. The only, only accident victims have similar injuries. And according to Dr. Bob, a specialist pediatrician who operated on Tammy, the child could have been saved. Her injury, the burst liver, was not fatal. If the child had been brought to the hospital earlier, she could have been saved. Now the social workers are trying to ensure that the abuse that baby Tammy went through is not repeated in another adoption and the procedures have been strengthened. If this case causes us not to let children go, we will prevent children from going to loving homes, they say. In the end, the social workers need to consider the best interests of the child. And that is the Garden State House of Horrors. Our studio is beginning to become a house of horrors. Next is the Bloomsprite House of Horrors. Oh no, I'm sorry. A grey brick house looks neglected. There is rubbish everywhere in the yard. One of the anchor posts on the rickety wire fence is a doll's half-burnt head. In front of the garage, the weeds stand about one meter high. Some distance from the car is a wreck burnt grass in the yard. This is said to be Bloomsprite's house of horrors. A 13-year-old girl testified in the High Court of Bloemfontein when she was 11 that she was raped by four men while her mother held her down and held her hand over her mouth. Her nine-year-old brother had to watch. From reports submitted to the court, the brother testified in detail how the men had raped his sister. I usually had to stand there my sister is on the couch and my mom is holding her down and the four men are on top of her. The men also assaulted the boy and had sex with the mother in front of the siblings. The children were removed from their parents' care and are living in a children's home. The mother and father face 13 charges. Not far from the family's neglected home, 31-year-old Michelle Ghost stays on a small holding. I had known what was... If I had known what was going on in that house I would probably be in jail right now I would have done something to help them you can't do something like that to a child in all the time that they had lived there Jose had never spoken to their parents they only came here to buy milk from my mom who stays next door to us at one stage she offered the timid girl some clothes but she would not accept them she said her mother would reprimand her when I invited her on another occasion to come and play with my son, she again said she couldn't because her mother would fight with her. At a supermarket in the area, a member of staff who wished to remain anonymous said the children had grown up in front of them. The parents regularly bought treats, bread and packets of energy gel, but never actually food. 
The children had difficulty speaking. It's very bad. It's very, very bad. She said the mother had often asked to buy on account or for help. The employee also remembers the children coming to the shop with their grandfather. He was a good man. He always bought them sweets and made sure there was food. She said the grandfather had been a big client but wasn't living in the area anymore. In the sparsely furnished house where the attacks are said to have taken place, there is a Bible among the cigarette butts, empty pill boxes, dove droppings and other rubbish. In a bedroom full of rubbish, there is a red, white and blue blanket. There is a songbook on the carpet. There are two long shoelaces tied to the door handle. In the wall next to the door is a hole. It seems to be as if the door was kept closed with the shoelaces. The case would be postponed for the couple to get legal aid who had terminated their previous lawyer's services. The couple would face 13 charges. Amongst the charges are child abuse and including the rape of a minor. These two escaped. They fled to Pretoria but was caught again and they would appear in court in 2018. And that is the only information I could find on this case. There has been no identification of the men, the four men mm -hmm. that were apparently involved. So another case going a little bit unanswered. And now we go on to another case. Do you want to have a mic <gasps> in your head? The testimony of an 11-year-old boy who witnessed his stepfather allegedly beating his two-year-old brother and throwing boiling water onto his face while his mother apparently looked the other way will be a determining factor in the judgment to be delivered in the Western Cape High Court. Judgment of the matter of Tashwal and Renzia Lowe in connection with the death of the two-year-old Jeremia on the 28th of April 2018 will de be delivered in the Western ha Cape High Court. The evidence of an 11-year-old boy who was 8 at the time of his brother's death is contained in the state's head of argument. The pair faces four charges relating to the abuse and neglect of Jermia and his then 8-year-old brother. The state contends the two intentionally caused the death of Jermia and caused his elder brother to witness him severely being assaulted. The court documents allege the two-year-old boy was assaulted between 10 and 15 times. Assaults, which the state contends, were also witnessed by the mother. They were arrested on the 25th of February 2017 and on 11th August 2022, 2020 pleaded not guilty on all four charges. Reznia Lowe is out on bail, what? while Tashwell Lowe is behind bars. He allegedly beat his wife and threatened to kill her if she spoke about the assaults. Kill me then. He is alleged to be a 26's gang member. Court papers revealed that Jermia's ordeal started on the 25th of January 2017 when he was placed in the care of Tashwa Lowe. Along with his brother and mother, they stayed in a Wendy house in the backyard in Ravensmead. Jemia's stepfather allegedly threw boiling water on his face. However, Tashwell claimed that he was preparing coffee and he was pouring water into the mug. Jemia ran into him and the water splashed on his face. 
He said it was an accident and there was no malice intended. But the bone-chilling evidence of the 11-year-old that linked the stepfather to the continued assaults resulted in the death of Jermia. He testified with the assistance of a registered social worker. On the 25th of January 2017, he was late for school and had to return home. He told the court that he witnessed his stepfather beating Jermia. According to the boy, when his brother did not stop crying, the stepfather threw boiling water from the kettle on his face, causing severe burn wounds. When Jermia returned from the hospital, he could no longer hold a spoon and had to be fed by his brother. Evidence also heard that Jermia started vomiting and did not want to eat, and Tashwal allegedly beat him when he refused to eat. Rejecting his stepfather's version that it was an accident, the 11-year-old boy stated, I blay dikant slan. He is adamant that it was no accident and that his stepfather deliberately threw the hot water at Jermia. He said his stepfather often beat Jermia for soiling himself. On Friday, the 10th of February 2017, Reznia Lo noticed that Jermia was vomiting and he was lethargic and feverish. The prosecution claimed she didn't take her child to the hospital, but instead, instead gave him some Panado syrup. Jermia's condition did not improve, and on Sunday, the 12th of February, when he indicated to his mother that his stomach was aching, she took him to the Alvis River Community Health Center. She apparently told the doctors at the hospital that her son had fallen from the bed the previous day and he might have ingested something poisonous. But during... I do not know. Now, I do not know if she claims this to be two different instances, but that doesn't even make any sense. During the trial, she admitted she had not told the truth because she was afraid of her husband and she knew that her son was ill because he had been assaulted. Jermia was transferred to Teichabar Hospital in critical condition. He was diagnosed as suffering from dehydration, severe septic shock, and had a cardiac arrest shortly after his arrival. On the 14th of February, emergency abdominal surgery was carried out to stabilize the little boy. It was during this surgery the doctors discovered the cause of his septic shock was neglected, non-accidental duodenal injury. This injury is caused by shearing force on the abdomen. So basically ruthlessly punching someone or stepping on their abdomen. The two-year-old boy underwent several surgical procedures and due to his inability to swallow, an endoscopic gastrostomy was performed and a tube passed through his stomach through the abdominal wall to enable direct feeding to his stomach. His condition did not improve and he died on the 28th of April from ongoing problems originating from the non-accidental injury in 2017. The state submitted it had been presented evidence of the two-year-old child being admitted to the hospital for injuries so severe that he underwent numerous procedures in an attempt to repair the damage. The continued assaults of the deceased in his weakened state after the fatal injuries were already inflicted. The proper inference to be drawn is that Tashwell did not only foresee that his actions could lead to the child's death, but he did it willingly and had intention of causing the death of little Jermia. The state argued that Reznia must have known her husband was a gang member. He had gang tattoos on his hands and was on parole when they met. Two days after their wedding he allegedly assaulted her and yet she still left her children in his care. 
The state contended that it is abundantly clear from the mother's own evidence that not only was she responsible for placing herself and her children in the circumstances they found themselves in, but she also failed to act in accordance with her legal duty towards her children. In omitting her duty, she became a cooperator on each of the charges, including the charge of murder. I don't know why people who do bad things get rewarded for telling the truth. Yeah. Instead of just being punished for what they did. Yes. And that is... I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. But that is the Ravensmead House of Horrors. The second last case. I could not find any more information on the Ravensmead one. I'm going to hit you in the face. I know. I'm sorry. I know this is a lot. I know this is a lot. Like I'm bugging out right now. Yes. I, I'm sorry. Askis. Now, this one got me because they were so similar. I got confused between two cases because they are from the same area. Two parents, children, young children. Bitch. I didn't understand. I'm so devastated at the moment that these poor fucking hopeless children are put in these situations because of adults who have a means of power or guardianship or whatever. And because of you not being able to comprehend the consequences of your actions, a child now must suffer and lose their life. And then you get a little naughty, bad, bad, don't do that. Yes. Like, beat the motherfucker with a bat. Yeah. Okay. Well. Now, this would be the Klerkstorp House of Horrors. But during my research, the name had to be changed because there was another Klerkstorp House of Horrors. So, this one is the Alabama House of Horrors, which is in Klerkstorp. Okay. Okay. Sweet home Alabama. This is not Sweet Home Alabama. I should not be doing that. A couple charged with murdering their four-month-old baby has appeared in the Clarkstorp Magistrate's Court. The child allegedly died due to complications related to malnutrition. Advocate Ricky Krauss said the state intended to transfer the matter to the Northwest High Court. An indictment will be sent to the officer directing the Northwest to authorize the transfer. Sean Hubert, 44, and Isabel Francis, 35, from Alabama and Clarkstorp, appeared in court on Monday in 2020, if I'm not mistaken. Am I getting confused with the dates here? This happened in 2020, 2021. They have been in a relationship for 15 years and they have four children. Two boys, aged 2 and 5, and two girls, aged 8 and 3, 13. It is alleged that in May 2021, Frances was arrested for assaulting her two-year-old boy, but was later released. At the time, she was breastfeeding the deceased, who was born on the 24th of April 2021. Police reported the incident to the Northwest Department of Social Development for social workers to intervene. The intervention led to the four kids being placed under the care of their maternal grandmother. In September, Frances was arrested again for allegedly assaulting her 13-year-old daughter at her mother's house. She allegedly hit her with clenched fists, kicked her, and threw her on the ground. Frances allegedly also assaulted her mother. 
Police investigations into this assault led them to the discovery that the four-month-old baby had died on the 13th of August in Klerksdorp's hospital. The information was declared by Leon Francis, an uncle of Isabel Francis, the mother. The investigators further discovered that in June of 2021, Francis forcefully took back her two sons from her mother to stay with her and Jubar. The incident was reportedly raised with a designated social worker. A report received from the social worker indicates that on the 9th of August 2021, when he took some groceries to the house of the accused, he found the two-year-old boy in a bad state of health with sores all over his face. The social worker returned the following day and apparently found the baby by herself lying on a bed without a blanket. He alleges that the baby looked emaciated. Then he rushed to collect his wife to assist him with the baby before taking her home with them. On the 10th of August, the baby was immediately admitted to Klerkstor Hospital after the social worker took her to the hospital. She died three days later. The attending pediatrician confirmed that she died of complications of malnutrition as she was not fed adequately. Francis was arrested on the 15th of September and Hubert on the 21st of October. They were both charged with murder and five other counts. The court denied them bail and they would remain in police custody until the completion of the trial. The case was postponed to the 17th of January 2022 for further investigation. This is the only information I could find on this case. If I tell you... I have researched the um, the database of Safi. I've gone through this year, that sp- the, these specific years, every single one of them. Now, I am not sure if these cases are locked in the top secret drawer in the vaults because of the miners being involved, mm. but that is what I'm assuming. If I do get any updates, I will let you know. Don't. I will keep on digging. Now, the last one happened the 13th of December, 2023. In Klerksdorp, three children would be rescued from a house of horrors. Among piles of dirty laundry and rotting food, volunteers thought they were dolls lying on the couch. Among more dirty laundry, however, they would realize these were not dolls, but two sisters respectively nine months and three years old, as well as their two-year-old brother. Some of the volunteers associated with the charity organization Unchain Our Children became aware of the child's conditions and they came to the child's rescue, shocked by the appalling conditions in which the blonde children were said to be living. The children were taken from their parents' care with the help of a social worker and placed in a place of safety. Unchain Our Children heard about the alleged appalling conditions in the home and called police and social services. The home in Dawkinsville residential area was raided last week. The house was apparently dirty and shabby with little food for the three siblings. The children were apparently unkept and covered in their own excrement. The complaint is also being investigated as to whether the two sisters may have been raped. It is unknown at this stage whether the alleged rape would have happened with the parents' knowledge. 
The police spokesperson in the Northwest confirmed that the father is 38 years old and the mother is 21 years old and they were arrested. Their identity cannot be disclosed to protect the minor children. The man and woman briefly appeared in the magistrate's court in Klerksdorp on two charges of rape and three of child neglect. They will remain in custody until 2024 when they are expected to apply for bail. I could not find anything else on that case. And this is, if I tell you, this is the tip of the iceberg, bitch. I'm literally exhausted right now because to me it feels when I heard the the first house of horrors case that I've ever heard was the Turpin case. And I don't want to say I found it interesting, but I was so intrigued because it didn't seem that wasn't something that I could imagine would happen. No. Like you would say Jeffrey Dahmer was such a unique case. And that's why people became so intrigued by it because it's something that you haven't seen before. And I think that was, and the Springs House of Horrors, it's something that you would think you would, once in a lifetime, you'd hear of something like this. And just there, in a decade, I have found five cases just in South Africa that are, that ended with some, with a child dying in the Springs House of Horror case. Nobody died. It was still horrific. Let's mm. not miss that. But... Just the fact that I was able to find this in such a short time and it's such a horrific thing that you would not think it could be something that happens so fucking much. Wow, I feel sick to my stomach. Yeah, I'm really sorry. I need a smoke. Yeah. So that is part one. I hate you. I know. Of the House of Horrors of South Africa. The Houses of Horrors of South Africa. I know this was a lot. This was a lot that of information. Was very devastating. A lot of dates. A lot of things. In part two, I will do a very deep delve, like I said, into one of the cases. Mm. So we can maybe try and attempt. Oh, I don't think we will ever be able to understand it. Mm-mm. But just... To get an understanding of something. Yeah, some sort of a perspective mm. on why is this happening. Maybe we can start noticing things. Mm. Maybe if we get into the psychology of this and look at why these things are so similar. Mm. I agree. Maybe it can make maybe some sort like of change. Maybe these people have something in common. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Something that you can be on the lookout for. And I'm really sorry that I ruined so many people's weekends today. You did. Hope you know that. And that that was so much information. I know it all, to me, it all melts together in my brain. It feels like one big case. Yeah, it does. Which is scary. And just to think that there are really that many horrific people out there that are willing to do that to their children. And also one thing that, oh, it makes me so angry. Why adopt a kid to abuse it? Yeah. That you have to be some level of sick and twisted to be that fucked up. To literally adopt a kid just to beat the shit out of it. You are the worst type of person in the entire fucking world. Which, see, if you were if you were victim hunting, then on some twisted level that makes sense. Mm. That was what you were looking for, so you went out and you did it. Mm. You don't have that, 
I don't want to say, you, I can't really say that, that you don't have that natural maternal instinct. Because I do believe 100% if you adopt kids, then you are their parents. They become your children. It's the maternal instinct, the paternal instinct. All of it is there, yeah. just the same. But obviously with this, it was different. Yeah. Because she didn't, that family did not adopt for the intention of being actual parents. Mm -mm. I cannot fathom doing this any form of this to my child i, I can't her. even say no to your kid exactly it the makes... other day she didn't want to go to athletics so she cried her little heart out and it was heartbreaking mm -hmm. and it was so i mean the other day she was saying goodbye to her friend and they cried because they were only going to see each other again the next day and that was just <laughs> too long to wait yeah and i'm like that cry in itself breaks my heart and that's mm. not even a i'm in pain i'm scared i'm worried i'm hurt that is not even that type of cry. Mm -mm. It's just that, oh, I'm sad. And you can hear those different types of cries. Yes. I cannot imagine putting my, A, just doing that to my child, but let alone having to hear and see that poor thing go through that. How do you, like, how do you stomach things like that? How do you even think like that? I do not know. I think, okay, this is going to be a little bit personal, but one of the reasons that... I think I became, I delved so, or not delved so deep, but why I got into these cases specifically is because of my own childhood mm. and seeing certain signs where I'm like, how is that the same? Mm. How is this? Mm. Why, why is this familiar? It doesn't make sense mm. to me. And the worst part is those types of kids grow up and think that that was normal. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no, it's not. Your trauma was not normal. No, it, it it is not. It was not. But I'm I'm gonna get down to the psychology of this. I'm gonna try. <gasps> We're gonna have a chit chat next week. Right yes. now, I need a smoke before I throw a mic at S. Yes. Because I am looking at her with looks that might kill. Yeah. But I do love. I feel you. it. I feel it <gasps> in my bones. We are twinning again. We no. are. We're both stripesies. Yeah. Fuck. Look at us. S and I, you know how chicks sink in their periods? I feel like we've synced in our style. Our wardrobe. Yeah. But in a weird way, because it's still your style and still my style. Right? We're just wearing the same type of clothes. It's the same word, just a different font. Yes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Anyways, guys, have a good weekend after this horrible episode. But... And um. We will see you on Monday. Give your kids a fucking hug. Give your parents a fucking hug. Mm. Tell someone you love them. Love each other. Yes, touch some grass. And have, drink some water. Have a little bit more compassion for yeah. others. You you don't know what they might be going through. Exactly. Egg fucking exactly. Let's protect our children, guys. Just be nice. Don't yeah. be a doers. Don't be a box. Just don't be like it. Don't be a thunderkant. <laughs> don't be a thunderkant. Be a ugly noodle. What? A noodly boogly. A noodly boogly. There we go. Love you. Bye. Bye.